Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Poisoner's Cabinet. I'm Sinead. And I'm Nick. And this is your weekly podcast exploring the lives of the great poisoners and macabre murders from across the centuries and creating curious cocktails inspired by the tales that we tell. And it's episode 102. It feels like so much more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, full disclosure, darling, darling listeners. We bragged, bragged this week on Patreon that we have some wonderful new kit. We have beautiful new microphones beautiful new inputs all the fancy stuff that proper podcasters use it has been a goddamn ordeal setting it up this evening for <laughs> yeah. some reason all of the kit that we normally use and all of the recording systems no no, no. we don't recognize your voice we don't recognize your voice because we actually bought proper stuff that has settings <laughs> and things rather than just plug it in and, and yell at stuff and i'm starting to see the beauty of those systems <laughs> what what was wrong with the blue yeti mike exactly. that we used for so yeah. long and I... we're, we're, we're convinced we were expert sound engineers we could figure this stuff out Totally. It's taken Absolutely. an hour and two red hooks to get somewhere vaguely <laughs> recordable. The words that of some critics out there that I am too loud and harsh, they hurt, okay? So I thought I'd invest in better mics. And now, actually, screw them. I now don't care. she's going to be louder. <laughs> it's very disconcerting when you can control the levels and you see your audacity. Oh, that's what it's supposed to sound like. Oh, okay. But yes, this has been uh, a moment. But how are you, Nick? Ah, delightful. Deli- we have a new kit. It's very exciting. It's all very shiny. And I feel very professional. And also we've had two red hooks. And also we've had two red hooks. That definitely helps. So this is going to turn into a drunk and insanity episode, Most I think. Most likely, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's We're pretty good. that way quickly. That's what it's all about. Any poisonings this week? Uh, no, no. Oh, absolutely no. not. No, none. You none shan't whatsoever. be drawn on it at all. <laughs> no, it wasn't me, Gav, honest. No poisonings. That's okay. That's very good. Okay, well, speaking of no poisonings and technology that drives you mad by strangling you in the night, I think it's time for us to thank our delicious Patreon subscribers. We should indeed. Now, we have had no new Patreon subscribers this week, but that's <gasps> fine. That, that's fine. It's fine. But thank you very much to everyone out there who does subscribe. You are most lovely. And if you ever considered it, there is fantastically exciting stuff over on Patreon. 
to get involved with. You have all been amazing Patreon subscribers, but we also have some extra content on Patreon this week because we're building ever closer to the season two finale. Mm. And for that episode, we are planning a bit of a retrospective on all of the Poisonous Cabinet episodes to date. To Indeed. date. Yeah, I feel it should be some sort of big gallery. The Sinead and Nick retrospective. Absolutely. Poisonous Cabinet retrospective. It sounds very fancy. <laughs> People walk around with just glasses of wine going, yeah. yeah we should yeah. hire like the White Cube yeah. or something. And The White Cube? Big gallery. Oh, is it? Oh, I, I, it shows how cultured I am. <laughs> I thought you'd like, get a big white cube, people will be impressed. Yeah, absolutely. And clearly that was the premise of that gallery. <laughs> hey, yeah, see, art. art I know art. Art, yes. <laughs> yes, for that episode, we are planning to look back on the last two seasons of The Poisonous Cabinet. We're going to be sharing our thoughts on our favourite, weirdest, most d- dastardly and strange episodes that we've covered. But we would love your input. We are sharing messages and questions on social media where we're asking for your opinions your highlights of the last two series Patreons do get an extra bonus question (laughs) we will try to read out as many of the answers as we can but also your answers may influence our decisions so it's always worth giving it a go I am very susceptible to all sorts of bribery and suggestions on that note are you you ready? no to drink cocktails and talk about poison. Well, I think so. My my, my red hook is gone. We could drink poison and talk about cocktails. No, no, no. no. More poison cocktails. being technology. <laughs> technology, the greatest poison of them all. <laughs> <laughs> haven't, we haven't come across that one yet. No, we haven't. We, we, we don't really do episodes in the future. <laughs> the future. God, we're old. I think we should. The future is technology. It's like, <laughs> no, it's very much the present <laughs> and the past, for God's sake. <laughs> It's us just drinking microphones going, I don't understand it all. Oh, should we branch out into futuristic poisonings? Okay. Or well, let's like do episodes from Star Trek or something. Again, so old. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know. I don't know modern sci-fi. Babylon 5. I don't know. <laughs> That's quite old. That is quite old. That's quite uh, old. The one with Rihanna in it. The what now? Yeah, she did a sci-fi, didn't she? Did she? Yeah, Rihanna. She did the big spaceshipy thing with Rihanna <laughs> that was the name of the film I mean it's, it sounds great <laughs> coming to cinema soon the big spaceshipy thing with Rihanna you would go and see that I, I mean, yeah absolutely. who would not go and see that <laughs> apparently it was not well received <laughs> yeah I can imagine with a title like that <laughs> these are all ideas for season three well it's Nick's episode this week hooray 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 but as we've established we can't we can't we can't possibly have a story without a cocktail in hand as you know dear listeners every week we choose a secret ingredient that is inspired by the tale that we tell and will flavor our cocktail of the week Nick's story so his pick and Nick the secret ingredient this week is is it's a lovely horse a horse a horse or horses potentially oh, oh, oh horse eye horse no, eye horses <laughs> Horpodes. No, what? No, that's the Greek. No, <laughs> no it's not. Well, it is. Podes is, is Greek. Yeah, is yeah but Horpodes isn't. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's, absolutely it's not. It's the plural for horses. No. <laughs> that's something entirely different. Horses, lovely. Yes, Who doesn't love a that. lovely horse? My lovely horse running through the fields. A horse. We haven't had a horse on the show for, for a while, actually. We haven't had the horse on the show. This is true. No, 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 no. no. Oh, oh, Nick, how could you forget the best horse we've ever had on the show? Chicken. Mm. 
Oh yes, the whole yeah, oh, yes. Way back in episode three, I think <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, that was a while back. Blazing in my memory, chicken, chicken, the worst horse ever chicken, who ran a horse. race. There's things you can do with a horse, uh, a cocktail related or non. <laughs> okay. You put a yeah. saddle on it. <laughs> no more cocktails for Shane. <laughs> this has gone horribly wrong already. <laughs> okay, with with horse as yeah. your inspiration and ingredient, is a horse going to get into a little class? Yes, indeed. I've I've minced a horse. Oh, come on. I was thinking a little pony. <laughs> you minced it immediately. <laughs> no, we are having a horse-inspired drink okay. rather than a horse-flavoured drink. So what have you come up so with? So we're going to have a white horse. A white horse. A white horse. Ooh, I like it. I'm glad. And very apt for the county which in which we live. This is very true. Because this our is... emblem is a white horse. It is. It is indeed. We're not. Like we are not in the county where we live, though. For the story, we are now, <laughs> but not physically. I'm not kidding, Nick. For a minute, I went. We aren't. <laughs> what has happened in the time we played with technology? We've gone back in time and changed county. And yes, <laughs> time and space. Lovely, great. This is going to go well. I feel. Good so Lord. I think before any of this madness continues, it is time for us to go into the poisonous cabinet kitchen and, and shake up a storm and make a coffee. I think. <laughs> Just descend into crying. <laughs> Let's shake up a storm, so we'll see you in a minute. We'll see you in a bit. And we're back. Hello. So, Nick, we have, ooh, a white horse. A white horse. But it's not white, Nick. It's not white, I know. It's not white. It's I not... thought it might be more white, but it's not white. Well, looking at it, it's very brown and amber, yeah. which is always a good colour in this show. This is, this is true. I was thinking creamy. I was thinking milky. You were thinking wrong. I think the person who named this was thinking <laughs> wrong. Was having a breakdown. Yeah. Clearly, yeah, it looks interesting. Well, indeed, yeah. I'm, yeah. I thought it would be lighter of a lighter hue than it is. Mm. Now, no, the brownie, ambery drinks don't often steer us wrong. This so is, this is very we, true. Should we have a little sh- t- sample of the aroma first? Mm. Ooh, okay. That's intriguing. That is intriguing. That's got I'm that's got some spicy flavour. Liking there. the smell of that. Well, okay. Cheers. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Let's dive in. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, that's Ooh, very nice. Oh, my. This that's... horse. <laughs> oh, that's very nice. That is a lot more subtle than I thought it was yeah, going to be. Yeah, I thought it was right. From obviously knowing what's in it, I thought it was going to smack you around the face. It stroked you. It stroked me gently. Kid gloves. Oh, that's, that's good. That's really nice. I like that. I like that. Well done. Well done, horse. I don't think the horse invented it. Horse oh, my God. Was this invented by a horse? It was invented by a horse. And the horse has done damn well. I <laughs> Considering all of the odds being against it. I can't place what's in it, though. I'm going to ah, have another not yeah, sip. Not have a hazard a guess at, at something. I'm going to think whiskey-based. I'm going to think bourbon or whiskey-based. You are entirely correct with a whiskey. But normally the whiskey-based cocktails, lovely as they are, come at you like, whoa, whoa, really, really harsh at the front. Absolutely. It's got a, a loveliness to it. It has got a loveliness to it. So, yeah, I mean, we've just had two red hooks, which are... <laughs> But quite, they are—they are very potent. You They're know, punchy. you know, you've had a bourbon. You, yes. Or if you do it with a rye, you know you've had it. But this is this is incredibly subtle. Hmm. This is a Scotch whiskey. It's a blend of Scotch mm. whiskey, so nothing overly peaty or anything like that. But okay. In, for the for the purpose, it's very nice. Yes. We then also have some dry vermouth in there. Oh, a dry vermouth. Yeah, dry vermouth, which is not something I would have imagined to put with a whiskey, hmm. um, but it actually works very nicely. Then we also have some Benedictine. Uh, Oh, bloody hell, you're just getting every ounce of use out of that well, Benedictine, aren't you? bought a bottle you? for last week, so I thought I might as well use some. Um, mm. So a bit of a, a bit of a herbally twang going on in the background, yeah. and then a dash of bitters. So that's it. Is that it? So it's just got the four things, whiskey, vermouth, Benedictine, and a bit of bitters, stirred with some ice. That, bloody that's hell. Lot. 
And it's incredibly good. It's that is really nice. Really nice. Yeah, I'm surprised how good this is actually. Yeah. Benedictine we used it last week. I always associate Benedictine with one of those at the back of the parents' cupboard, the herbally sort of drink that was chic in the eighties, I yeah, guess. I mean, it's, it's been around for, for, for it's decades. Been around for centuries. So yeah, it does have that sort of a Jaeger, chartreuse, herbally yes. monk made type type <laughs> thing. Because to drink on its own, it's like having a bottle of Jaeger. You yeah. have to either really be into it or you're not. Yeah, I mean, and to be fair, the, the quantities are Benedictine are a lot less than the other ingredients in here. One and a quarter quarter of whiskey one mm. and a quarter of vermouth and then a half of the benedictine it's so it's, it's a lot it's a lot less balances out incredibly well with the other ingredients yeah. that has really enlightened me to the to the benefits of benedictine yeah, i'm impressed i'm not usually a whiskey drinker or a, no. a fan of the whiskey drinks um but that is that's really nice. You're a bourbon fan. I like a bourbon. I like a bourbon. I'm not usually a fan of a Scotch whiskey. Um, I generally find them a bit too smoky for my taste. That's the point of a blended whiskey. It's not yes. going to be peaty. It's not exactly. going to have that smokiness, the beauty of some of the finest scotches that are out there. A blended whiskey is still lovely. It's blended. Some people will go... <clears throat> Yeah. It. And, and, and you know don't don't be cruel about things like that you know because there are some great blended whiskies out there but in a cocktail mixed with other things it works brilliant oh, wonderful with yeah. our white horse firmly white in hand horse. we have it by the reins we're sitting on top of it have you Very ever ridden nice. a horse nick no i haven't never ridden a horse i've never ridden a horse oh yeah. i have I well, you went to a private school, so you're fancy. Oh, I did not do well at horse riding. <laughs> the, the very fact that you had horse riding lessons as a child. Rode to school on your horse from your castle in the countryside. Definitely. Yeah, while the Trampling rest of us the were pool, down the mines. I asked for horse riding lessons because I am a girl and I was a little girl and girls love ponies at some point. Pony. And I took horse riding lessons and I was not good at them because I'd read too many romantic novels of galloping through fields with your hair billowing in the wind. And I went to some riding school that was all put on the stiff jackets. You're going to go to a Jim Carner and you have to be really upright and prim and proper. And that wasn't my jam. And then a horse bit me and I had to leave. <laughs> or did you buy the horse and you had to leave? It bit me first! <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's like a good cocktail. I'm, I'm happy with that one. Yeah, okay, we both have our ways out of situations, <laughs> Nick. Someday they'll combine. Is it time for a story? It certainly is time for a story. I'll gallop back. <laughs> right, so today... Okay. Today on the story... Okay. We are returning to Australia. Yay! Australia to tell the story of one of the most famous outlaws of all time Ooh. in the history of the world ever. Now, to some people, he was a folk hero who took a stand against British colonialism. To others, he is a cold-blooded murderer who has very undeservedly been given the title of the Robin Hood of Australia. This is the story of Ned Kelly. Yay! Yay! Oh, I'm so glad you've done this. (laughs) Who would I like to tell me the story of Ned Kelly? Nick, obviously. But you know the name. You know the name Ned Kelly. Everyone knows the name Ned Kelly. And I know Mm. we have listeners on Australia, so I don't know which side of the fence you fall on. But make your own opinion from what we're going to tell you. Okay. And I'm sure many people will know many more details than I'm going to give in this condensed version of events. Now, Edward, or Ned Kelly, is... Bo- what, what, what? Now, what is so funny already? <laughs> Just with the little air quotes. Yeah, the little air quotes, yeah. Ned. Ned. Ned derisive. Edward was his name. Edward. He was Edward. Ned Kelly was born in Beaveridge, Victoria. Um, sometime between the end of 1884... And the middle of 1885, at some point around there. Now, at the time, Australia it was a British colony. And Edward's father, John Kelly, um, also known as Red, he had been an Irish criminal who had been transported to Australia in his 20s for the crime of stealing some pigs. Desperately, desperately heinous crime. Yep. Off you go to Australia for the pigs. 
I mean, that's very much what an Irishman would do. <laughs> that's good bacon. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So he was. So he's in Australia. He sends. He served his time in Van Diemen's Land, now known Yay! as Tasmania. Dodging he, cannibals. Dodging, dodging the many, many cannibals. But after he completed his sentence, he decided, like many others to make a new life for himself in Australia rather than return return home. Now, Red worked numerous odd jobs before starting work as a farm labourer for the Quinn family. Uh, they, the Quinns, were Irish immigrants who had settled in Melbourne, and there he met Ellen Quinn. And the two fell madly in love, and they were married in 1850. Aww. Now, it was around this time in the 1850s that Australia became gripped with gold fever. The gold rush was on. Ooh. And many, many men tried their hand at prospecting to find their fortune. And John Kelly was among them. He was one of these men. And while he didn't exactly strike it rich, he earned enough for him and his new wife, Ellen, to buy a farm of their own in the upcoming town of Beaveridge. And there they had eight children together, with Ned being the eldest son, named after John's favourite brother, Edward. Oh, that's nice. Very nice. That's a lovely picture you're painting. It's it's delightful. It's a a lovely, lovely time. Now, according to family tradition, family legend, Ned came into the world at the height of the Eureka Rebellion. Hmm. Uh, which was a conflict between colonial authorities and prospectors in late 1854. Now, this saw prospectors challenge the authorities over the cost of mining licenses and the huge taxes they had to pay on the fines that they made. And it got very violent, confrontational. So quite fittingly, from a very young age, Ned developed a rebellious streak and a strong aversion to authority especially the police he had very very dim Hmm. views on the police now the up-and-coming town of beaverage turned out to be not quite so up-and-coming as the family had hoped yeah you were building that up a lot actually you kept saying up and coming up up and and coming i said it once said it once twice <laughs> I'm like, is there going to be a Starbucks or something like that? No, I, I said it. I said it once. I said it once, and then you said it twice there, and I said it again, <laughs> and then he went, oh no, and then no. So the family had hoped that this would be on the route to the goldfields, and everyone passed through, but it turned out that the, this particular route was on a particularly treacherous bit of road so alternative routes were created that bypassed the town entirely Mm. Um, and the family farm quickly began losing money and as a result of this john took to the bottle he 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 began drinking i don't know why we had to confirm what that meant um (laughs) (laughs) everyone knows what went to to the bottle was just to make sure you don't know he had a drink you know he He liked a drink he didn't just take to the bottle and took it as his wife just take the bottle he drank from the bottle as well he drank from the bottle as well (laughs) things got so bad that eventually they had to sell the farm and move to another town called avenel during the 1860s Hmm. even now in the town of avenel ned kelly is still remembered as a hero Hmm. um, particularly for one specific incident when he was only 10 years old when he saved the life of a younger boy who was drowning and even to this day, he is regarded as, the, as a hero of the town for this one act of heroism. Now, since first arriving in Australia, John Kelly had tried his utmost to stick to the straight and narrow. He'd been arrested and convicted of a crime. Mm-hmm. He thought, I'm going straight. All is going to be well. And he tried his best to avoid any more legal troubles, but temptation got the better of him in 1865. His family was struggling for food, and the only way out he, he saw was to turn to a life of crime. Ah, did the bottle tell him to the do The bottle that? told him to do it. Uh, one day a calf wandered onto his land, um, and even though it was branded as belonging to Philip Morgan, John killed and butchered the animal for meat. Now, he was no. caught and charged with cattle stealing and sentenced yeah. to six months' hard labour. 
Which yeah. seems a lot for stealing a for killing a cow. Well, a harsh times. Oh, well, well, absolutely, and harsh you, times. Most that, certainly, that is your livelihood. That's your commodity yeah. that you're going to sell and trade or eat. This is absolutely true. Absolutely yeah. true. So, yes, yeah, six months hard labour. Now, this this hard labour plus the drinking took its toll on John's health, and he died in December 1866, oh. leaving the 12 year old Ned as the the man of the family the main breadwinner. After a few years, the Kelly family were forced to move yet again, this time to an uncultivated patch of farmland outside the town of Greta. Now there, they actually re- reunited with a lot of relatives. Ellen's parents, um, along with brothers, sisters, and their own families, had all relocated to this area. So there's a bit of a, a bit of a hub for the Quinn clan. Wherever they went, the Quinns developed a bit of a reputation for, for perhaps not the most law-abiding citizens um they were often accused of cattle and and horse stealing before being forced to move on to to new pastures now that's that's a lot to do in the new place yeah yeah. wherever they move to just like all these horses all the horses all the cows they're all mine mine. (laughs) they're all mine now it's not something you can hide under a jumper this is this is true unless you had a very large jumper so they were soon discovered for their their horse and cow thievery and were, and were run out of town and they were moved somewhere else and stole some more horses and cows indeed ned began spending a lot of time with his uncles who undoubtedly influenced his developing behavior but the defining moment of his youth came in 1869 when the 14 year old ned uh, met bush ranger harry power heard of harry power now real name henry johnson but harry power is much cooler it is much cooler. <laughs> Harry Power. Harry Power. Hen- Henry Johnson. He just arrived in Australia. Went, I am Harry Power. Harry Power. Ooh, that man commands the room. He can go and free. <laughs> we have covered bush rangers in the past. Essentially, the term originally started out as a description of escaped convicts who hid in the Australian wilderness. But later it came to refer to any criminal who hid in the bush. Many had committed robberies and even murders, but they still had their fair share of sympathisers amongst the the town folk um, and a few became regarded as folk heroes who stood up to authority and and fought the oppressive colonial forces. Well, yeah. Now, Ned takes an instant liking to this way of life and under Harry Power's guidance he started stealing horses and cattle and committing robberies. Ned's first brush with the law occurred during this time. And now, he's only 15 years old, um, and he is accused of assaulting and robbing a Chinese merchant. Hmm. Ned was arrested, but his sister and two family friends testify that it was the merchant who had started the fight all along. It wasn't Ned. And as the Chinese chap had no witnesses on his side, the police had no choice but to let Ned Kelly go. Oh, okay. That's what, that's what happened. <laughs> um, he is later arrested again uh, as an accomplice in several robberies committed by Harry Power, but none of the victims can positively identify him, so again, he is released without charge. Mm. Ned's association with Harry ends in June 1870 when Harry is caught and arrested. However, his influence on his young protégé is strong, and Ned has already built quite the reputation of a bit of a, a, local, a local hoodlum, really. A new newspaper called the Banala Ensign wrote an article about the pair and this is a quote the effect of power's example has already been to draw one young fellow into the open vortex of crime <laughs> and unless his career is speedily cut short young kelly will blossom into a declared enemy of society Oh, that journalist was having a good day. <laughs> a, I mean, a vortex of crime. A vortex who, of crime. I love that. Yeah, that, that sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds people, great. People are reading that yeah. going, I, 
I want a piece of yeah, this. Exactly. There are there's not a... vortexes. Yeah. <laughs> there's only a vortex of depression where I am and poverty. Vortex of crime. That sounds more promising. Yeah. yeah. And this is pretty blossom. much a... Blossom. Yeah. Again, positive word. Yeah, absolutely. Positive reinforcement. Well, blossom into a declared enemy. <laughs> hey. I mean, and this is pretty much exactly what happens. Um, from this point on, Ned Kelly is firmly on the wrong side of the law. Just a few months after Power's arrest, Ned is taken into custody for assaulting a hawker named Jeremiah McCormack. This time he was found guilty and sentenced to six months hard labour, but he was released early. He only enjoys this freedom for a few weeks before being locked up once more for horse theft. Though this time the charge is later downgraded from theft to feloniously receiving a horse. (laughs) (laughs) What? Which is... Possibly the best name for a crime ever. Feloniously, Feloniously receiving a horse. Feloniously, so so as as in felon, as as, as in, in fraudulently, as in fraudulently receiving a, a horse. horse. So he hasn't, how does that differ? Well, from so I think he, a horse? he hasn't stolen the horse. But he's lied. He's, he's lied. He's conned the horse ah. out of from this from this man. He's not conned the horse. He's <laughs> conned the horse owner. <laughs> the horse has been tempted away by promises of marriage and fine living. And the fine horse, riches. The finest shoes you shall have on your hooves, my horsey friend. <laughs> yes, the horse is like giving evidence in court, <laughs> dabbing itself with a little handkerchief. Lies he told me. He told me is this the horse lies. that is the influence? for the cocktail. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Oh, is it? The, oh. Felo- the felonious horse. Because <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of horses. And you there's a lot of horses. One. Yeah, I, yeah. Okay, let's pick uh, the felonious horse. I didn't specify which horse was the inspiration. Ah, let's, let's imagine this is a white horse. I would go with that one. Went to court in a veil. <laughs> now, Ned got three years in prison. Good, good. For his he, felonious receiving of a horse. That poor horse needed justice. <laughs> when he was released, he went back to stealing livestock. Um, <gasps> this time accompanied by his younger brother, Dan Kelly, who had taken up the mantle while his older brother had been locked up. Um, and they would eventually go on to form the Kelly Gang, whose other members included uh, Steve Hart and John Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, in 1878, an event occurs that irrecoverably put Ned and his brother on the path of new return. And it has become known as the Fitzpatrick Incident. Now, we don't know exactly what happened. But... but well, there are, there are two different versions of events. Mm. One from the Kelly family and one from Constable Alexander Fitzpatrick. And neither one is a particularly reliable source. <laughs> Now, in Constable Fitzpatrick's version, he says that on the 15th of April, he went to the Kelly household to take Dan into custody. There was an arrest warrant out for him for horse theft. Um, According to the constable, he arrives at the house where he finds Dan Kelly and his mother, Ellen, and two associates, William Williamson 
Oh, nice. Nice. And Bill Skillian. They Those are, are made up names. They are, ever. <laughs> they are What's your name? Made. William Williamson. Bill Skill. Bill Billing Skilling Skillingston. <laughs> Goodbye. Now, now, they are all in the middle of dinner, and the constable agreed to allow Dan to finish his meal before taking him in. Why? Um, what? Now, well, he's a kindly, lovely constable. So How he, good was the food? It was apparently it was a lovely stew. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's just awkward. Yeah, oh, so right, he, let's finish a meal for he's, 40 he's minutes. There, he's sitting there waiting. Now, while he is waiting, um, Ned arrives home. And he takes exception to the constable's presence yeah. and, drew, and draws his weapon and shoots Fitzpatrick in the arm. And then, while the officer is incapacitated with a bullet to the arm, Ellen, the mother, knocks him unconscious with a shovel. Uh, okay. This well, is Fitzpatrick's this, this, version. This is Fitzpatrick's version of events. This is the Ooh, constable's the version of events. He reports that later they let him go after the digging the bullet out with a knife. So they shoot him, hit him on the head with a shovel, and then go, oh, actually, we regret this. Actually, we'll take the bullet out. Off you go. Be gone with you. That's his uh, version of events. Now, it's unsurprising, the Kelly version puts rather a different spin on things. Um, and according to them, uh, Fitzpatrick arrives at the house drunk. Uh, <laughs> And without a warrant at all. Um, when he realised that Ned wasn't home, he starts making threats against Dan and Ellen and then makes a pass at Ned's sister, Kate, <gasps> who is no. also there. Now, it's at this point that Ned arrives home to witness this drunken, uninvited policeman making very unwanted advances to his sister. Mm. Violence ensues and during the fracas, the constable is wounded. Now, the doctor who treats Fitzpatrick after this event whichever event it was yeah could not establish conclusively that the injury was the result of a gunshot might have been yeah. might not have been we're not entirely sure the doctor also notes that the constable smells quite strongly of alcohol yes um although Fitzpatrick claims that he stopped on the after his release and his assault <laughs> he stops at the bar to steady his nerves he needs a drink to steady his nerves before he mm. goes on to the doctor Plausible as that might sound, it's a very convenient narrative, isn't it? Oh, the policeman. Oh, yes, I turned up and they attacked me. Oh, and they struck me on the head with a shovel and then just let me go. No, they didn't. (laughs) I can well believe he rocked up going, I'm going to make an example. I'm going to make a name for myself. Yeah. Sorry, if if you're a lawman at that time does not necessarily mean that you are a saint. No excuses to anyone else at that time, but... But... Perhaps unsurprisingly, the police accept Constable Fitzpatrick's version as the truth and arrest warrants are issued. Now, Ned and Dan Kelly go on the run, while Ellen, the mother, uh, Williamson and Skillian are all charged and convicted of being accessories to attempted murder. Mm. Now, this does not go down at all well with the the public. There is an outcry at the trial, particularly at the sentencing of elderly Ellen Kelly to hard labour. She's an old woman and she's been sentenced to to hard labour and people are not at all happy about this. And even behind closed doors, the Victoria Police are not happy about this situation. The commissioner calls Fitzpatrick's actions as generally bad and discreditable to the force. Generally bad. Generally bad. Generally bad. Well, good. So yeah, well, indeed. But I mean, this is this is done in private after mm. the trial, where an old oh. woman has been sentenced to hard labour, oh. um, <laughs> and he's going in the in the office. Eh, probably didn't happen like that. Yeah. 
knowing nothing that succeeds this point of the story, I'm like, he's a hero. Why, <laughs> why did the man come and attack him? But yeah, it's uh, fucking police are going to back themselves. You mean, and, and that is the feeling that many, many people in the surrounding area had. There was a huge amount of ill will generated by this trial and huge sympathy yeah. for the Kelly brothers. And while they are laying low, mm. hiding, that's, this is when they are joined by Joe Byrne and Steve Hart. And the gang hopes to raise money um, to appeal for, for Ellen Kelly's release. Mm. Now, with a lot of locals now on the side, they, they tend to get advance warning of police activity, things like that. If they're hunting, they get, they get to hear about these things. They get advance warning in late October when police have discovered their whereabouts, discover their location. The police dis- dispatch an armed party to the location to take them down, to take down the gang. This group consists of four men, Sergeant Kennedy and Constables Lonergan, McIntyre and Scanlon. On October the 25th, 1878, they arrive at the camp um, at Stringy Bark Creek. <laughs> Australia has some wonderful place names. Oh my God, <laughs> they have the best place names ever. Stringy Bark Creek. Stringy Bark Creek. That was just a series of words mashed together. Yeah, but great words. Someone turned up and went, I don't care, Stringy Bog Creek. I have a lot of places to name today. <laughs> the men who arrive, the, these police constables who arrive, none of them are experienced bushmen like Ned. And Ned, knowing that the police were out there, um, finds their horse tracks and follows them to their camp where kelly and his gang take them by surprise when the gang enter the camp only lonergan and mcintyre are there mcintyre is quickly disarmed and he surrenders he's not willing to put up a fight lonergan however tries to run and ned chases him down and shoots him dead now allegedly there was existing bad blood between kelly and lonergan we don't know the history of what that was but it looks like ned takes this opportunity to settle a score when scanlon and kennedy eventually returned to the camp the two other police constables they found mcintyre sitting on a log and the kelly gang waiting in ambush now in the ensuing shootout scanlon is shot dead and kennedy is mortally wounded managing to crawl a few hundred feet before dying during the chaos mcintyre manages to jump on a horse he reaches the nearest town and tells everyone that the kelly gang have just murdered three police officers now from that point on the kelly gang are officially declared outlaws by the governor of victoria and under the recently passed felons apprehension act they are stripped of any rights and they can be shot on sight Um, even if they are captured alive doesn't matter they're Mm. outlaws so is the punishment or the the order that's placed on their heads is that typical for an outlaw of the time for an outlaw of the time absolutely is it just no holds barred no holds barred yep if they if they are given this status of outlaw Mm. uh, they they are they are beyond the law in in effect then yeah that it is it's shoot to kill Shoot to kill. Shoot on, shoot on sight. Do they have um, a bounty on their head? Oh uh, well, there, there may well be a reward. There is a reward involved in the Kelly case, and that gets increased as their activities go on. Oh. Um, but yeah, the governor may well issue a, a reward. But it is yeah, it's it, shoot, shoot, shoot on sight. The gang are active for around two years. They spend a lot of this time hiding in the Australian bush, really relying on friendly locals to provide them with food and lodging, mm-hmm. and occasionally raiding a police station or, or something to, <laughs> to get a bit of cash now the police know that many of the townspeople are aiding the gang um, and since they are having no luck capturing the gang they decide to crack down hard on their sympathizers fortunately for 
the authorities, the Felons Apprehension Act also allows them to punish those who offer any aid to outlaws, um, any aid, shelter or sustenance. And so they are pretty much free to imprison anyone if they have the slightest suspicion on being on the side of the Kelly gang. Hmm. Just ring bells. It does. Some, yeah, you know what? It really does. <laughs> with certain things. Yeah. 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 So in, in one particularly brutal crackdown in January 1879, a Captain Standish rounds up 23 men who he believes are either friends or sympathisers or their sisters, mm. wives, tennis partners, friend, had a chat with them, anyone who may have the slightest connection. And he imprisons them for months without any sort of charge wow. now this flagrant abuse of power has quite the opposite of its intended effect and only highlights the unfairness of the system against the poor against the yeah. the, the townspeople and encourage they and it encourages support of the man who was supposedly fighting this injustice <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sort of wanting to stand up from my seat right now <laughs> and gutting, i know it's complex i know it's complex but yeah, yeah we the whole kind of kibosh on anyone black and white thinking yeah, it's, yeah it's, that's not comfortable. That's not it's, comfortable. It's we certainly like not it. a black and white thing. It's a very nuanced range. Absolutely. Now, say Ned helps enhance his own reputation um, by writing his manifesto. It became known as the Jerillery Letter. It is a 56-page, 8,300-word declaration where he decries the abuses of the police, um, who he describes as... Quote, a parcel of big, ugly, fat-necked, wombat-headed, big-bellied, magpie-legged, narrow-hipped, splay-footed, <laughs> sons of Irish bailiffs and English landlords. <laughs> All said in a very good Australian accent. Yes, in a good Australian accent. I will object to the Irish bit. But <laughs> Irish but bailiffs, English landlords. Sorry, You're re- just as bad as us on this I one. Know. <laughs> Yes, yeah. that's a lot of a diatribe rolled out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. It's uh, not exactly eloquent, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to object to it. I'm not saying you don't have to be. I got the point across, I feel. He got the point across. Now, so in in this letter, Kelly argues that he is he was forced to becoming an outlaw by circumstance, outside of his control. He still blames Constable Fitzpatrick as the one who really started this all, and he calls for justice, not only for him, but for all the poor families of Australia who are subjugated under the tyranny of the English. During their time on the run, the Kelly gang did have a few moments where they behaved more like traditional outlaws, as you would expect outlaws to behave. Now, after the shootout at Stringy Bark Creek, the gang needed money urgently to go into hiding and what is the best way to get money rob a bank yay that's the best way to get money it is it is so few people do that these days yeah absolutely they chose the town of aurora and on the 9th of december 1878 they set their plan into action um first they they hold up the nearby train station uh, at faithful creek uh, where they take a bunch of hostages and they hold them in a brick outbuilding the okay, host- that's a lot nick hold up a bunch oh, of hostages it's, it's it's a whole plan it's a whole big old plan this is just one part of it this is one part of the plan that seems like a lot though yeah they hold up the train it's station stressful it's they hold stressful up the train for the station hostage. not the not the train a train station 
fiction. They get off and like, here's your ticket. We're going to kill you. Pretty much, yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Into this box. Now, the, the hostages include a traveling merchant who seems to be quite sympathetic to the cause. As he suge- he actually suggests that the gang takes new clothes so they wouldn't look quite as out of place when they walk into Aurora. Okay, okay, 100% aren't we all picturing the travelling merchant in some flamboyant <laughs> oh, desperately flamboyant. With a trolley, and he's covered in the most finest of silks and the biggest of hats. Take of my costume <laughs> trolley, my boy. It's very, very, very good. <laughs> now, the day after they've taken the, the train station, they cut the telegraph lines cutting off Aurora from the rest of the world entirely. Now, Ned, Dan and Steve Hart make their way to Aurora National Bank and completely clean it out, taking the bank manager, Robert Scott, and his family as further hostages so they cannot raise the alarm. Now, back at Faithful Creek, the gang now have 37 hostages. Some reports say that the gang performed some trick riding to entertain the hostages. (laughs) (laughs) What? Uh, what? What? Why? No. Well, they're going up and down the street. If you're going to no. be taken hostage, I'm sorry that you've been you, in this predicament. But, but we're going to give you. We're going to give, give you a show. show. We're going to give you a show. I mean, absolutely. that sounds amazing. I'd do yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, oh no, take me hostage. Let me see some horseplay and maybe have yeah. some whiskey. Now, I mean, I'm Robert Scott, the the, the bank manager. Um, he is so surprised by the courteousness of the gang that they all drink whiskey together. They're in there. They're <laughs> knocking back some whiskey. They're having a grand time. Yay! Now. I do suspect that maybe these things have been added in later to enhance the sort of the folk appeal of of Ned Kelly. But maybe not. The gang leave at 8.30 that evening, warning their captives to remain where they are for three hours or there will be trouble. Stay where you are. We have no way of knowing if you've moved. (laughs) But there'll be trouble. But there'll be consequences if you do. There'll be consequences six weeks from now. (laughs) Now, following the raid, several newspapers commented on the the efficiency of its execution (laughs) um, and compared this with the inefficiency of the police who have failed to capture the gang in weeks since the the Stringybark um, police killings. <laughs> Several hostages state that the gang have behaved politely and without violence during the raid. However... Others also state that on several occasions, Ned and the gang become enraged and cock their revolvers and point them at hostages, threatening to shoot them. So there's two very differing sort of versions of how the thing went. Pointing your gun is not the same as killing someone or hurting them. There there were certainly no deaths involved. There was certainly no shooting or anything like that. You you can't walk around being lovely and handing out cakes and buns to everyone and doing like entertainment. People will kick off. Hostages will probably kick off. Yeah. You can't you take hostages go, without a threat of violence. Mm. So, this is fair enough. A second bank robbery occurs a few months later, in February 1879, in Gel The plan is similar, although this one is slightly more ambitious. The night before, the gang descend upon the local police barracks, and they take the only two policemen inside as hostages. Um, <laughs> Good plan. The next day, they dress up in police uniforms. Uh, <laughs> And manage to rob the bank with no violence whatsoever. They they walk in as police and clean the place out. Did no one ask the police why they're taking all their money? Apparently not. They also take their horses to the local blacksmith to get reshoed um, and put the work on the police tab. That's brilliant. <laughs> Which is brilliant. I mean... <laughs> How stupid is everyone in this town, by the way? How trusting of authority (laughs) is everyone? Now, I mean, it's during this robbery that Kelly leaves behind his famous Gelridery letter. Although it won't be published in full until the 1930s, 
it, it is here where he leaves his manifesto for everyone, for the public. Now, following these two robberies, authorities step up their efforts to hunt down the Kelly gang, and with contributions from the bank, they increase the reward for their capture to £2,000 per gang member. Today's money, it's about 1.1 million US combined for the four members. They also bring in a police unit from Queensland, which contains Aboriginal troopers. Now, they are much, much, much more skilled at tracking people through the bush um, than the the Victoria police. Eventually, this crack team from Queensland are able to track down the gang, but their efforts are hampered at every turn by the Victoria police, who really don't want to be upstaged by these these Queenslanders. Oh, God! Um, (laughs) The Victoria authorities are already deeply unpopular with people who think they are corrupt and entirely incompetent for not being able to capture the gang in the first place. The last thing they need was to be upstaged by these by these Queenlanders and who to do their job for them. Which is literally what has happened. <laughs> In the end, it is the reward money that gives them the advantage. The Kelly gang may well have been popular with many, many people, but the prospect of a huge pile of cash, it is inevitable that someone is ultimately going to choose the reward over friendship or loyalty mm, that, a lot of money it's a, it's a huge amount of money it's a huge amount of money it's a family out of poverty yeah. set for life it's a difficult decision to make so and the, and the person who makes that decision is aaron sherritt now he was a, a friend of the gang who becomes an informant for the police now some people believe that he is actually trying to be a double agent and at one point even the authorities suspect this but they find a way to make him useful anyway the police spread word around that Aaron is working for them and they hope to draw the Kelly gang out of hiding using Aaron more as bait than as an informant really the gang feel horrendously betrayed by Sherrod they are obviously completely unaware of his maybe plan to be a double agent yeah. Um, and they want him dead yeah. they feel entirely betrayed on june the 6th 1880 joe Byrne and dan kelly travel to woolshed creek where sherritt lives now when they arrive they find four police officers inside sherritt's home only confirming even more that he had in fact turned traitor the gang needed a way of separating their target from the group they cannot take on four police as well so to this end they kidnap one of his neighbors and bring him to the front door of sherritt's house while they hide out of sight they make him call out for Sherrod, who who recognizes his neighbor's voice and answers the door without without hesitation joe Byrne pops out of the shadows and shoots aaron Sherrod through the head okay now the gang know that the police inside Sherrod's house are instantly alerted to this to this attack and they are <laughs> gonna they are gonna send word of what has happened to melbourne to the authorities in melbourne who in turn will send reinforcements by by train down to the area Mm. Now, that train will pass through the city of Benalla, where undoubtedly more officers will join the train, um, and then eventually to the town of Glen Rowan. You are making this kind of picture of a train that is just jam-packed full of police. It is. It is, it is Some a, sort of clown car effect of just... It is a special train that the Melbourne police put on it purely to transport the police to, down to there to get there. This is not a just a passenger train wow. that the police are on. They put on a special train to get the officers down there. They they realise that the, the sort of staging post for this is going to be the town of Glen Rowan. And wow. so they devise a, a cunning plan to try and stop these reinforcements arriving. Now, while Dan Kelly and Joe Byrne have left to deal with Sherrod in Woolshed Creek, mm. Ned and Steve Hart travel to Glen Rowan. Now, their intention, their horrifying intention, is to run the train off the tracks, kill 
any survivors and then go on to Banala, which would, would now be left entirely defenceless. Mm. And it would have been easy pickings for the gang to strip the place clean. Ned and Hart kidnapped two railway workers and forced them at gunpoint to damage the tracks over a steep ravine. Afterwards, they go into town and take locals hostage, holding them inside the Glen Rowan Inn and wait for the train to arrive. Now, the Kelly gang have over 60 hostages at the inn and they pass the time with music and dancing and games and drinking and everyone's having a <laughs> lovely, lovely I mean, time. it sounds like an amazing time everyone to be in a hostage. A good old party. Good that old is party a good of... hostage experience. <laughs> so, as I say, everyone is having a lovely time. So much so that Ned becomes convinced that he is surrounded by sympathisers um, and he starts to let his guard down oh. slightly. Um, and he allows a number of hostages to return home. One of these is the local schoolmaster, Thomas Kern. Now. now it turns out that Kurnow is no supporter at all but he has been mm. playing along to discover the gang's plan and he has overheard them discussing this derailment of the train rather than return home Tonis Kurnow runs along the track until he finds the spot that has been damaged and he is able to signal the approaching train in time for the driver to wow. stop to stop the train derailing the entire police force is alive and well and really pissed off oh. <laughs> at, at this and they head to the Glen Rowan Inn in force and start shooting. The Kelly gang quickly realise that their plan has gone horribly wrong mm. but they have no intention of surrendering. No. They have one more surprise in store. Oh, okay. Now over the previous few months the gang have constructed homemade armour for themselves <laughs> out of metal scrounged from farm equipment that they had stolen out of fields they had hammered out breastplates and helmets crafted from but it's about sort of six mil thick iron armor that weighs over a hundred pounds as the police advanced on the hotel dan Joburn and steve hart emerged armor clad from the hotel firing at the place oh beautiful uh, many of the hostages are able to sneak out the back in the chaos and they flee though two men are caught in the crossfire and, oh. and unfortunately die Joe Byrne is the first gang member to go down. A bullet hits him in the thigh and severs an artery, causing him to bleed out. Then came the most spectacular moment of the shootout, as Ned Kelly, who had disappeared out the back of the hotel, emerges from the trees, clad in armour, guns blazing, trying to outflank the police. Wow. Now, this, this sight makes the police think they are fighting the devil himself. They have never seen anything <laughs> like it. And the armour is terrifying. If you can see pictures of it, they have it in the Victoria State Library. If you saw that coming out, you would go, be really freaked out. Um, and it takes them a while to understand what they are, what's happening, what, they, what they are facing. Bullets are bouncing off Ned's armour. What the fuck's going on? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have taught you nothing, people, is that if you're ever in a tight spot, just go with the element of surprise. <laughs> Put on every single yeah. secret quinn and every pot and pan that you have in the house and just go out big yeah absolutely now me because we've got still got dan and steve providing cover from the hotel and um, they're still mm. firing from there yeah ned's coming up the flank in his armor his, his guns blazing all over the place and for a moment it looks like the police are actually about to run that they are mm. completely overwhelmed by what the hell is going on until they realize that ned's legs are completely oh. unprotective. His armour covers his head and his torso um, and even some of his arms, but his legs are completely undefended. Two shotgun blasts later and Ned is down and he is captured alive. Now, all the while, Dan and Steve are still blasting away from the hotel. 
By this time, all the hostages have been evacuated and the police decide to withdraw just beyond firing range, leaving Dan and Steve in the hotel. The authorities decide that they are not going to endanger any more lives trying to capture these men. Um, If they want to go out in a blaze of glory, then so be it. The police commander telegraphs Melbourne and requests artillery support. (laughs) They are going to blow this hotel to smithereens. They send up the cannons. However, this takes a bit too long. So they decide to burn it to the ground. Jesus. With the men still inside. The Kelly gang is no more. Now, only It's very upsetting, Nick. It's very upsetting. Well, as are many of the stories we tell. Only Ned Kelly himself survives the Glenrowan siege. Um, and despite a huge surge in public support for this, this hero of the common man, mm. he is still tried for his crimes, found guilty and sentenced to death. On the 11th of November, 1880, Ned Kelly is hanged at Melbourne Jail. His last words, such is life. Oh, that's a good. That that's. Oh, oh, oh those are good last words. Those are good last words. I mean, they're not great last words. Well, they're sort of like. Well, they're good. They're not they're great. I, I took my chances. I, I, I mean, we've had better last words on this show. I, don't know. I, I like am that. Jack the Ripper. Maybe nah, no, such is life. I like. My that. wife might have bloody well turned up. <laughs> so there we go. There's a story of Ned Kelly. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful account of Ned Kelly. So we'd love you guys to weigh in. Some of our wonderful Australian listeners, please tell us, do you think we did it justice? Or do you do you know other stories behind it? Or are there little bits and pieces we've missed? What do you know about Ned Kelly? And does this challenge what you've thought about it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean what it's... is the what is the current opinion in Australia about about Ned Kelly. What do people actually think about his position, whether he's a folk hero or a murderer? We've talked about this on the show a lot. We have a lot of people, maybe we're doing something for what could be perceived at the time for, sure. for the greater good. Yeah. They are still murderers. But they certainly we do believe. not justify and we do not condone, but still. Mm-hmm. There's points when you really root for them. Yeah. You go, yeah, no, come on. Yeah. You've been treated awfully by people. It's an interesting one. We have people from different cultures who are folklore heroes. We've covered them in America. We're covering them in Australia. We actually haven't covered them in England, I don't think. We haven't. We have. We mean, Dracula (laughs) is a folklore hero. Well, in in Europe, yeah, yeah. (laughs) In England, we have just done the bastards. We have, that's true. Perhaps we need to do like a... A Robin Hood sort of character well, in England. Yes, um, Robin Hood would be good. Who should we be covering? What do you think of our interpretation of Ned Kelly's story? What what side do you land on? Do you think he's a folklore hero or do you just think he's a down, dirty criminal? What about that horse who was abandoned? And was fraudulently obtained. Didn't ask for that. <laughs> Maybe the horse turned up at the last showdown and fired the final bullet. He was, he was there or the hanging. Just the the hanging, dabbing its eyes with a lace handkerchief. Just watching. Just poking itself in the eye with a hoof going, I don't know how to use a handkerchief. I'm not sure. <laughs> Tell us what you think, people. Jump on the comments of this episode on any of the social media channels that you follow. Tell us what you think. But most importantly, you must mix up a white horse. Oh, you really should. It's damn good. Oh, it's so good. Two in a row that have been damn tasty. You would not think it worked. Well, it also justifies why you should get some Benedictine. This is true. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it would be get Benedictine, not chartreuse every single time. <laughs> and send us suggestions of more cocktails that we could be sharing 
on the Poisonous Cabinet podcast. As we said at the start of the show, if you haven't already, answer some of our questions for the season two finale. We want to hear your feedback about your season one and season two highlights. Also, get your friends to join Patreon because it's a wonderful, sexy, lovely place to be. Thanks for listening, guys. We have been the people inside the Poisoner's Cabinet. We will see you next week. And remember, your loved ones are trying to kill you. Oh.